I love how the digital age has made information so easily accessible. Now I can keep learning from the comfort of my own home, whether it's for academics or my personal hobbies. With Globe Prepaid's GoPlus99 GoLearn, you can now continue your Project Loving Myself journey with more ease. With 99 pesos, you can have 16 GB of data that you can use to access educational sites such as YouTube Learning, Udemy, Google Suite, Educacion, and Canva. And on top of that, you get unlimited text to all networks. Go plus 99 with GoLearn. You get a total of 16 GB of data. That's 8 GB to browse sites for what you need and 8 GB of data for apps that you love. You also get unlimited text to all networks valid for seven days. To register, grab your mobile phones now and head on to the Globe One app, Gcash, or dial star 143 pound on your phone. Break free and take charge of your life when you keep learning with Globe Prepaid. Podcast Network Asia. Project Loving Myself Podcast is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We've all been at something we've had to go to because someone's asked us to go as their plus one. We've all experienced that. So let's take that as an analogy into our friendships. COVID is a wonderful time to look around and say, what friendships are serving me here? And doing a bit of an audit. And with these social distancing measures, like we're seeing in Singapore, where you're allowed um, a limited number of people to hang out with, you're really whittling it down to the quality connections. You're listening to Project Loving Myself podcast. A well-being podcast that shares stories of self-love, mental fortitude, and self-discovery. Hosted by life designer and well-being coach, Sanaya Gurnamal. Hi, I'm Sanaya Gurnamal and this is the Project Loving Myself podcast. Join me each week as we navigate through aha moments, new ideas, and flashes of insight from candid conversations that inspire you to get started on your own project of loving yourself. Because the most important relationship you will ever have is the relationship that you have with yourself. You matter. This is Project Loving Myself. Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to connect with all of you today. Being in a global pandemic has taught us a lot about the importance of healthy human connection. And so this is what I want to get into today. But why is connection so important? So let's start with a definition. Social connection is the experience of feeling close and connected to others. It involves feeling loved, 
cared for, valued, and forms the basis of our relationships with one another. More recently, social connection has become understood as a core human need, with the desire to connect being a fundamental drive for human beings. We are all genetically programmed to need to experience human connection, along with the tangible benefits that come with it. When we are able to connect with one another, we have an increased feeling of belonging, purpose, happiness, self-worth, and confidence. And studies have shown that our well-being depends on our connections with others. Think about how family systems are set up. When a child is born, it is the bonding with the parent that establishes trust and instills lifelong qualities of self-esteem, validation, and love. Without it, a child grows up feeling inadequate, unloved, and unworthy, which suggests a strong correlation between our ability to connect with one another and our mental and emotional well-being. Social connection can lower anxiety and depression, help us regulate our emotions, lead to higher self-esteem and empathy, and actually improve our immune systems. When we are isolated, we are more likely to have thoughts of depression and suicide. Loneliness actually makes people sick. So when you think about it, quarantine is a type of isolation that many of us have had to go through. But did you know that isolation is actually a form of torture practiced in many prisons and around the world? It is this prolonged isolation in this pandemic that has caused so many people to develop mental health issues, which is the major impact of COVID on our society that we have not yet had a chance to address, especially since our governments are more occupied with vaccinations and finding the cures for COVID, rightfully so. It is expected that within the next five years, mental health issues are going to be the biggest burden to society. By neglecting our need to connect, we are actually putting our health at risk. The reality is we are living in a time of true disconnection, which is why it is important to explore our ability to connect with each other as a means to ensuring our well-being. Which brings me to our guest today, Simone Heng, a human connection specialist who inspires people to connect in a world thirsty for connection a seasoned orator and communicator with over one and a half decades worth of experience. Simone is a professional keynote speaker, well-renowned host, and former international broadcaster for Virgin Radio Dubai, HBO Asia, CNBC, CNN, and many more. With clients like Google, TEDx, Dell, HP, City just to name a few, and even the United Nations. Simone has dedicated her life to teaching people how to make authentic connections that enrich their lives and their business. Her work with corporates is designed to create cohesive workspaces and healthier employees, while her coaching services help people all around Asia to connect with their authentic voice in order to improve their communication skills. It is my pleasure to welcome Simone Heng onto Project Loving Myself. Hi, Simone. Hey, thank you so much, Sanaya. What an introduction. And you are so knowledgeable on human connection. I feel like I don't have to say much. I, it's a very much a delight for me to hear someone that has their own interest in the topic besides me, you know, normally being the first person that drops the bomb about what a, a lack of human connection does for us. It's so wonderful that you're so clued up. And I, yes, I'm going to have an easy job today, I think. 
<laughs> well, I really did want to set the stage, you know, for our conversation because I really wanted to get a little bit more deeper into the topic. And you're right. I'm definitely very interested in human connection. I attended a seminar last year about, you know, human connection. And, you know, when I heard um, all the different ways this could benefit us, I knew that this is something that we needed to learn a lot more about, which is why, you know, I really pursued, um, you have a community that I'm going to ask you a little bit more about. So I pursued yeah. this community that you've created and I wanted to learn a lot more. So once again, thank you for, for coming onto the podcast and sharing your knowledge. So to start with, Simone, can you tell me what is your idea of human connection? I know I've given kind of a very, very general overview of social connection, but from your perspective, why is it important, especially given the current climate of a worldwide uh, pandemic? Sure. What's really interesting about defining connection, I've just had to come up with my own definition for my book, which is coming out, is that everyone knows what it feels like to be disconnected, but actually defining human connection, something so intangible was quite a challenge. So I define human connection as that incredible energetic rapport we experience when we can see, feel, and discover ourselves in another human being. Disconnection, as we know, social disconnection specifically is very similar to loneliness. Disconnection from life in general means a apathy towards things like not just your relationships, but also your job, any sort of thing that makes you feel you matter within your life and the community. Um, so human connection is vital because when we were evolving as early man in tribes, as I shouldn't say early man now, we should say early people to be gender neutral, but we were living as, as cave people on the savannah. And I want you to imagine that our brain quickly equated safety and survival with numbers. So if we were injured when we were out on the hunt and we couldn't hunt game, the other tribes people, they would hunt food and feed our family. And at night when we slept, for example, different tribes members kept watch from, for predators, saber-toothed tigers and the like, from threatening our survival. So very quickly, our brain solidify this idea of, hey, I have more resources and I am more safe in a number bigger than myself. And so even though our our lifestyles have become exponentially digitized and we've seen a huge exponential rise in that um, with COVID, obviously, our brain is still wired for connection. So loneliness our perceived loneliness affects our health greatly. So a lot of people think it's just our mental health. It also deeply compromises our immunity and our physical health. I know that's ironic that we are socially distancing to keep us safe from a virus, yet the act of social distancing causes uh, detriment to our immunity. But it works a little bit something like this, to put it in layman's terms, okay? Uh, when we are lonely, it's like the body's alarm to go out and connect. Now, if we don't go out and connect, then our body is flooded with stress hormones, similar to if you were for some reason cast out of that tribe on the savannah for some reason. So you were left behind by the tribe. Your body floods you with stress hormones, hormones telling you to go out and connect with people. Like you are not safe being on the savannah by yourself without a tribe to keep watch for you. Now, fast forward to the current era, that still happens to us. And that's okay on an incidental level. Like I said, it's the body's alarm telling you go out and connect. But what if for some reason like social distancing we can't or for another reason we 
feel uh, we have low self-esteem, we have trauma for some reason, and connecting with people is really difficult for us and it becomes a cycle, well, then those stress hormones are in our body for a chronic amount of time. And that's when it can lead to a lot of life-shortening diseases, things like cortisol just you know, chronically pumping through our veins. And that is why if you read the plethora of studies on loneliness, they will correlate loneliness with a shorter life expectancy. So people who feel lonely have a shorter life expectancy. That is how plainly human connection, a lack thereof, affects our physical and our mental well-being. So it's a big truth bomb. So, Simone, you mentioned loneliness as being like the major issue. It's kind of what is the most current issue today. And if I look at sort of the idea of mental health, it used to be about, you know, schizophrenia, bipolarity, multiple personality. Like that's what we would think of when it was mental health, Mm -hmm. like what, 20 years ago or 10 years ago. And then it kind of moved into depression and depression became like the next big thing, depression and anxiety. And I know in my own practice, you know, I've been treating a lot of people with depression and anxiety where medication is not, you know, the the best solution because a lot of people want to get off the medication and the medication itself has a lot of negative effects. And now we are in this pandemic and from depression, depression, it's come down to something that we used to experience more fleetingly. And now where it was, you know, a smaller group of people experiencing mental health issues, now it's something that's a lot more widespread because everyone's lonely at some level when they are in isolation, they're in quarantine, they're in lockdown, they can't travel to see families. There's a whole different set of circumstances that is now occurring I I don't think it's a matter of it now occurring. I think um, there's a great book together by Vivek Murthy, who's the current Surgeon General of the US, who's also the Surgeon General under Obama. And he talks about the loneliness epidemic in the States. Now, not to say that here in Asia, we are an imprint of the States, okay? But looking at that as a case study, people were experiencing a loneliness epidemic prior to COVID. COVID has brought this to a global awareness where it was there for a while. And my book coming out is called Secret Pandemic, The Search for Connection in a Lonely World, because I, what I'm saying is that this pandemic that we all talk about with COVID, of course, it's absolutely terrible. But the secret pandemic that was happening long before COVID was actually loneliness. So I think... Um, it's been the case for a while. I, I interact with a lot of Gen Z on my TikTok account. And I can tell you the kind of connection someone like me of 37 experienced with an analog childhood and a digital adulthood. The kind of taste for authentic connection that I've had in my life, I truly wonder with digital devices and a, and a fragmented attention span, whether that generation, because they've always had digital devices, was exper- has experienced the level of authentic connection that some of the Gen Y and Gen, um, Gen X have experienced. And that makes me really, really sad and makes me realize this loneliness yeah. epidemic we're just, it's just started. And the kids that are growing up right now during COVID, let's say one to three years of their life is, um, is eaten up by COVID. So they can't go out and socialize. Their own parents are depressed, possibly hyper-stressed within the home as a result of the loneliness I just described. The effect on this generation um, is going to be huge. 
I agree with you completely, Simone. Um, and I, I do agree that loneliness has been something that's been happening for a while beneath the surface, right? And it's been sort of festering within us because we, you know, most people have these high pressure jobs, you know, making money, the rat race, all of this going on. And then the loneliness is come, something that was hidden. And I think because COVID made us stop, and a lot of us were staying home and having to deal with these emotions that we didn't have the time to actually confront, right? We were just kind of going about yeah. our day. We always had to get things done. It was always about what do I need to cross off my list next? And now it's all of a sudden, well, at least in the last year, there's been a lot of time to think about, is this the life I wanted to live? Is this the way I want to live? And I think that has brought people to discover that even though they're married, even though they have friends, even though they have family, they are inherently lonely inside. And I love the point you made also about the the generation, you know, the, the, the younger generation. I have two kids. My oldest is five and a half. My middle child is four. And I just had a baby um, four months ago. Yes. She's four months now. Yeah, I just had a baby. So... I have a lockdown baby and I know my my baby is not going to have the same experience that my two older boys did. And they grew up, they were already growing up in a digital world. And of course, you know, COVID sped it up because now school is online. We're still studying online here in the Philippines. Yeah. And then I have this little baby. I can't even put her in any social interactive class because it would have to be via Zoom, you know, and I have to do that to keep her safe. And I can't even imagine what kind of an effect this is going to have in the next couple of years in terms of, you know, how are kids going to adjust back? How are our kids going to relate to one another? And so I definitely see your point. And I think it's something that we should be thinking about um, and we should be addressing. I absolutely love, Sanaya, what you've, you've kind of um, hedged about there, about people having to spend time by themselves. And I think in my 20s, when I did live in Dubai, and I know you've lived there too, I was outwardly focused, external validation, external distraction. I did not want to spend time with myself and practice what I call self-connection. So self-connection is like knowing what you're feeling, when you're feeling, regardless of any programming or trauma you've been through, really knowing what is my gut saying to me? What am I experiencing right now? What emotion am I experiencing? And what I think COVID has highlighted is that, and I'm so grateful that that part of my journey and therapy happened before COVID because gosh, help me if it was after. But I think it's pushed a lot of people to really, like you said, sit with themselves and realize how ill at ease they were with possibly sitting with themselves. And if, if you can imagine someone maybe even 10 to 15 years younger than me in their early to mid 20s who have been swiping on Instagram all day and that external distraction now it now can still be there, but can almost cannibalize you when you're stuck at home. Like those devices make can make you feel even lonelier during a time of lockdown. They're not making you feel better. And part of me feels yeah. we had to have COVID to tell people that because we were telling everyone, hey, the social media is not always good for your mental health. And it was like, yeah, but I'm addicted. I can't put it down. And I think having it there, having a whole day endlessly to scroll and realizing it doesn't make me feel any better is one of these inadvertent blessings of a crisis. You know, every adverse situation yields some blessings. And maybe that was one of them, that, that awakening to that. 
I, I do see that too. You know, I have seen just in the last year, the number of clients that I work with has grown tremendously because yes. suddenly people are realizing how much they have been hiding or running away from for so long. So yes, you know, the pandemic has definitely been a blessing in, um, in that way. Now, we talked a little bit about how things are going to be in the next couple of years. So what's your take on that, Simone? I mean, will we come back to the same reality? I mean, I don't think so. I don't think you do either. But what do you expect people to come back to? And how are we going to adjust? You know, what are the what are the challenges that you foresee um, going forward? And how do we deal with that? Sure. Well, firstly, I mean, on a macro level, I think hybrid is very much here to stay. Hybrid for your social events, hybrid for your work events, hybrid for your day-to-day work. So the element of going a thousand percent back to a hundred percent in person, I don't think is going to be there. I think the technology now is very incredible in terms of enabling people to remote work. So there is going to be a huge level of adjustment in the human connection factor of our lives because we need a certain amount of human connection to feel like we belong, to feel that we have social cohesion for our mental and emotional well-being. And everyone's level is a little bit different. So you're going to have some people who really don't want to go back to work and want to continue working from home and other people who um, can't wait to go back and socialize in the office. So on the work front, I'm foreseeing, you know, work weeks of three to four hour days plus remote days remaining for the next 24 months, at least I see. Um, And how I feel that affects us, I think we need to be really, really careful about overworking and becoming pinned to the device. We need to be really careful about the sorts of connections that surround us. So one of the incredible things about COVID, firstly, one of the incredible things about adverse circumstances, and I will say it again, especially for anyone really hating their existence right now in this pandemic who's listening, the beautiful adverse circumstances is that there are awakenings that are yielded from this. So, you know, I've watched my mum become paralyzed. I've watched my dad die in front of me. The depth with with which those experience um, enabled me to grow, there is no other way that I'd be as awake as I am now if I hadn't gone through that. So the adversity we're going through now will yield incredible awakenings. I think one of those awakenings is that people are much more selective about their human connections. Remember, we can be surrounded by people and feel completely alone. Mm -hmm. The choices you make, what we know from the studies on human connection, it's the quality of the connections, not the amount of people. And it seems silly that for some of us that we need a study to tell us that because we've all felt that. We've all gone to a party pre-COVID and been surrounded by people but never felt more alone, disconnected or at odds with our values because we were surrounded by people maybe that didn't, um, we didn't have the same values as, we didn't feel comfortable with, you know, we build connection off trust. So if you're in an environment where you don't feel safe, you don't feel connected. We've all been at something we've had to go to because someone's asked us to go as their plus one. We've all experienced that. So let's take that as an analogy into our friendships. COVID is a wonderful time to look around and say, what friendships are serving me here? And doing a bit of an audit. And with these social distancing measures like we're seeing in Singapore, where you're allowed um, a limited number of people to hang out with, you're really whittling it down to the quality connections. So what I would love is when we return back to 
normal, if you like, that we take that same quality control of our connections with us. And there is incredible TED Talk by Susan Pinker, and she describes the kind of connection we need to be healthy as people who listen to you in an existential crisis, as people who will drive you to the hospital if you are in you know, need, as people who will loan you money if you know, that you would feel comfortable enough with those people to ask them to loan you money. Now, when I give, say it like that, you really start to look at your friendship group and go, wow, that's, that's actually not that many people I would feel comfortable being that vulnerable with to ask them for a loan, for example. And so using that as a filter for the kind of connections you build when we return to post-COVID, when we return to life post-COVID. Yeah. You know, um, I, I love a lot of the different points that you've made, especially because these are things that I've been thinking about myself, you know, and I've been teaching some of these concepts in my classes and in some of these classes that I teach regularly. And one of the concepts I particularly like is this idea of quality control when it comes to your relationships. I mean, I think that is just something that I have to highlight because it's true. I think not only in the pandemic, but it is very important. It has been important for us to realize and recognize who our real friends are. Okay. Our time is limited as we grow, you know, as we have families, we have children, we have more and more responsibilities. Our time is so limited that we'd want to spend it on people who respect our time and who we feel very comfortable, who we can trust. And I do think, and I see this with my clients again, is that trust is a big issue. Okay. People really do not have people they can trust. And this brings me to another point I wanted to make, Simone, is that the breakdown of relationships like loneliness is a trend that we've been seeing for more than a decade now. I mean, divorce, dysfunctional families, abuse, these are things that have taken its toll on humanity, resulting in issues like depression, mental health challenges, you know, breakdowns in uh, families, not only from the previous generation, but the succeeding uh, generations, because we take our issues from our families and, and we pass them down, right? Generational pain, ladies and gentlemen, generational pain. Absolutely. And all of this has created more diseases. I believe, for example, cancer, which is something that has been becoming more and more rampant, is something that I can trace back to issues we have in our relationships. It's connected to resentment and grudge. and, And we experience that. I have written about this in my book. I, you know, I talk about my dad's dis-ease becoming disease. He never dealt with his childhood trauma. He was the son of a rampant alcoholic. And as the eldest son in a Chinese family, he shouldered everything and he kept that pain inside and that dis-ease became disease. Um, and I think that that Louise Hay says that in her book, you know, you, and when you, when you start noticing energies and you start unraveling the trauma that's happened, to you or to your family line, it just becomes like so clear. It's like, wow, how could we have blindly not seen this before? 
And this is exactly what I do, Simone, is I work with people to trace back to where did these things come from, right? What kind of issues in childhood and in our relationships have have resulted yeah. in this negative situation in our life, whether it is, you know, uh, our circumstances or our physical health. So where did we go wrong, Simone? Like how did, like from your perspective again, considering this is what you're working with on a day-to-day basis is yeah. helping people to reconnect, you know, to yeah. find that authenticity again. How did it get this bad? And what do we do now? Well, with, you know, without um, vilifying all of humanity, I think we, we got a little bit lost in terms of our value of external validation and our value of external possessions. I think the current Gen, um, Gen Z generation are so much more awake about these things because of the sustainability crisis. So this idea of consumption and purchasing for them, um, it, you know, they're really negating it. But if I look back and speak on behalf of my generation and the generation that came before me, you look at the 1980s where there was this like hunger for greed um, and accumulation. So what happens when people feel pressure to accumulate possessions or a lifestyle to show to other people? What happens is that they need to be on a hamster wheel in order to earn money to acquire those things. Right, and I think right. that that for me, um, seeing that across my lifetime and working in and living in many different countries, I've lived in Switzerland, Singapore, Australia, and the UAE, and really seeing how it shows up in different places and how other places, other cultures maybe negated a bit. But certainly here in, in Asia and in Singapore, this idea of uh, consuming to give face puts incredible amount of pressure on family systems um, and is just an additional factor to family breakdown. It's like, you know, the father under pressure to consume. So he starts gam- to acquire things. So he starts gambling and then he has a gambling addiction that then breaks apart the family. You know, I definitely think somewhere along the line where our need to acquire and our need to acquire and show others what we acquired. And we've seen this with the, with what Instagram was maybe 2015. I think we've really had a nosedive since then, but we can see what Instagram culture did to my gen. I think these things for me, from what I've seen in my lifetime can point to a lot of those things because remember when people have mental health issues, for example, addiction, what do they do? They go and they soothe with external factors to soothe the addiction. So that could be whether it's consume, over-consuming food, over-consuming alcohol, um, over-gambling, um, shopping, social media, anything to distract from the self-connection, anything to soothe, soothe the craving beyond and outside of them. So we've seen a loss of being able to sit and connect with ourselves and a yearning to be validated from the outside. And that's what I have seen in my lifetime, 37 years. I cannot speak for the generations of humanity that came before me, but those are the, the two big things that really stand out to me. Yeah, I actually completely, you know, relate to that. And I've seen that growing up as well. Um, And I've lived also, you know, I've lived in the, I've lived in New York and Philadelphia and Japan, Taiwan, Dubai, Manila. And you're right. It's actually the same thing everywhere. everywhere. And I guess 
the only way to get out of all of this is to go inward, which is, I think, the self-connection that you talked about. So tell me, Simone, a little bit more about what authentic human connection looks like and how do we sustain that? So for me, I think, firstly, for, for those of you here that are on the youngest younger side, um, it can be really something hard to pinpoint. Um, Simon Sinek gave a great talk about the fact that Gen Z expects that their friends will cancel on them for something better. It's actually part of their expectation out, which really quite shocked me. Um, but I, but that brings me to my next point. You can test for an authentic connection through reciprocity. So is it one person chasing the other person to catch up and the other person constantly cancelling? Or is it a beautiful subconscious ping-ponging back and forth with one person inviting to you to their home the next time it's you hosting and it's unsaid and it's natural and there isn't that feeling of, oh, this person's going to cancel on me. Oh, there's that beautiful trust um, that comes with the with how that relationship just functions on a day to day. So it's not the girlfriend or the guy friend that you're like, oh my god, why are they not texting me back? It's the one that you're like, oh my god, just checking on you, baby, are you okay? And if they don't reply for forty eight hours, you're like, hey, just making sure you're okay. And there's no feeling of like, oh, I'm double texting them, I'm chasing them. There's a beautiful reciprocity. So that would be a great marker. I would love if if you went through your phone and did a friendship audit and just looked at the person's name and asked yourself, how does that person make me feel? Maya Angelou says, you know, it's not about what people say, it's how they made you feel. So if you just have a gut reaction when you look at that person's name, oh, how do they make me feel? Do they light me up? Do they make me feel better? Well, then they're, they're being kept in 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 the friendship circle that's authentic where that person lights you up inside and i'm sure that you do the same for them look my my mom lives in a nursing home um now and has a very rare degenerative Ill illness she's been in there since 2013 which is why i left dubai and my sister said something to me i said oh mom has so many visitors out of everyone in this facility mom has so many visitors and my sister said Mum has good friends because mum has been a really incredible friend to people. And I was away for 10 years as an expat, so I didn't kind of see that ping-ponging back and forth of those good deeds being given and also received. But I loved that my sister reminded me of that. It's like if you see someone who's surrounded by really good friends, and I don't mean Instagram friends where everyone's like color-coordinated in their outfits. <laughs> I mean... I mean, real friends where you see them walking on the street and, and they're having, or a group of people having dinner together and everyone seems very cohesive. Well, people have probably got good friends because they're a good friend. Now, what you've got to be mindful of is do you have good friends for other reasons? Because people walk all over you, they can take advantage of you. Um, maybe they want some resources that you have. You know, they're the things that you will only find out through self connection by being still and having a look at the human connections in your life. But I would say those are the two major ones. Reciprocity is a great way. And like, do how do you feel around these people? If, if you feel really good and these people are making you better, it's more likely to be an authentic connection. You know, coming to that point about reciprocity, coming from an Asian background, our way of reciprocating has a lot to do with expectations and obligations. I mean, most... 
Asian families, right? I mean, you, you, you understand it, right? And we get so wrapped up in what we're supposed to do, how we should do it, how much of it we should do, that I think we've lost the essence of that natural communication. And from my own experience, speaking from my own experience, you know, I've had people in my life where, you know, I've, I felt the pressure of reciprocating. And then there are those people where I don't have to reciprocate at all. It's just naturally happens. It's like that ping pong ball you mentioned. And so the idea, again, you, you mentioned this earlier about quality, the quality of friends that you bring into your life. And I like another thing you said, you said the friendship audit, like we should really be going into our, you know, our phone book and editing the people that we want on speed dial, the people that we want to surround ourselves with, because I think it's rare to find people who have that ability to be natural and spontaneous with you without counting or judging or expecting anything. And I think this is something very useful for our listeners is to kind of look at your life and see if you can find those people or gravitate towards those people who you feel very natural towards. And as for those, you know, relationships that are a little bit more tied up in expectation and obligations, maybe that's where we choose to distance ourselves a little bit. Do you agree with that, Simone? Oh my gosh, I've written, I've just written a book on this. So there's a lot of stories in the book about deprogramming from the Asian upbringing and not in a bad way, not in a disrespectful way, but you know, if a cousin is really mean and bitchy and gossiping about you, you have every right to not see that cousin again. If you don't have to, by that, I mean, you don't feel obligated when they invite you over to say yes. Don't, I mean, it's different when we're at Asian family gatherings and we've got to give face and yes, you should always be polite and cordial, but that doesn't mean putting yourself Um, at coffees and lunches with people. And I had this happen to me personally with one of my cousins and I had been programmed by my Asian family that all family is good. All family is better than non-family and you must always be there for your family. I don't believe family means taking meanness from individuals. And I just watched an incredible episode of Sex Education on Netflix where one of the characters stands up to his brother who's like a bully and he literally stands up at this table. He just has had enough. And the brother's being really mean and manipulatively mean, like dropping in really hurtful things over a public dinner table. And the character gets up and says, you know, I know why you bully me because dad was the biggest bully of them all. And my son has turned out just the same, but I, life is too short and I'm too old to let this continue. And it stops with me. And he got up and he walked out. And that's essentially what via distance I've had to do with some family members of mine. Um, Being an expat, it's a bit easier because you're away from that. But I have had to mentally disconnect. And the wonderful thing about not taking meanness from individuals, even though if they're family, it has unlocked time, energy, and space in my heart for the members of my family who are joyous, supportive of me, amazing. It never feels like an obligation. I love them. Um, if they were non-family, I would have chosen these people as friends. And I have a yeah, very, like yeah. most Asian people, I have a very large family. There's a lot to choose from. I assume it would be more difficult if you had a smaller, more of a Western family unit where the external family, they only really see it like funerals and kind of weddings. 
uh, the wonderful thing about being Asian is just like there's a new family member born every 20 seconds for you to to become um, closer friends with. And you can only do that by freeing up your energy. None of us have limitless energy. We all have limits. I hear you completely. I grew up, you know, with this whole idea of obligation and expectations. And I would do what my parents wanted me to do in terms of, you know, where I would go and, and uh, yeah. who I had to, had to, you know, be nice to and so on. So I completely get it. And I remember that it really was a journey for me to learn how to say no, you know, to put yes. down boundaries and to choose who I was going to allow into my space. And I think it, it comes down to kind of self-respect and self-love. I think that you have to be kind to yourself and be very picky about who you're going to kind of let into your space, what kind of energy you're going to invite in. Cause at the end of the day, that's your choice, you know? And if you let those energies, those people in that are going to ultimately make you feel worse or bad in any way, then that's on you. Right. Yeah. So I think it's very important for us to be conscious of it. Exactly. And I don't want anyone on here to feel like, oh, I don't know. You know, it's, it takes years. This process takes life experience and years. What, um, Sana uh, Sanaya and I are trying to do here is just to make you conscious and aware and mindful about who you're letting in your, in your space and understanding, I suppose, from my point of view as a human connection specialist, my point of view is that your energy bucket is not limitless. So giving away that energy to friendships that might not fully serve you is just um, denying yourself the energy to go out and connect with people that truly authentically love you and you love them back. So just to be mindful, but it does take years of finding out what feels good, just like dating to find Mr. Right, you know, like it, it isn't something that happens, you know, overnight. So for anyone listening, I don't want them to berate themselves over it. Now, before we get to the next question, we're going to be right back after this short break. The fun thing about this whole online setup is that we get to meet new people and learn new things all from the comfort of our home. Learning new things with Globe Prepaid's Go Plus 99 is as easy as scrolling through your social media. With just 99 pesos, you can now access YouTube Learning, Google Suite, Canva, and other educational sites for seven days. Go Plus 99 with Go Learn, and you get a total of 16 GB of data. That's 8 GB to browse sites for what you need, and 8 GB of data for apps that you love. You also get unlimited text to all networks valid for 7 days. To register, grab your mobile phones now and head on to the Globe One app, Gcash, or just dial star 143 pound on your phone. With Globe Prepaid, learning is easier, stress-free, and better. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Agreed. Agreed. Now, Simone, your very diverse background has enabled you to develop deep intercultural understandings, which have allowed you to communicate and connect with really varied audiences. In this virtual world, this is a really important strength to have. How can others develop this superpower that you have? Code switching, essentially changing your communication depending on which culture you're around or communicating with. Code switching really is based on empathy and an empathy based on having knowledge of that culture. So a couple of things here, empathy and being interested in other people's cultures is really important. What I love about Gen Z is that they're so diversity focused in a way that I I never had the pleasure of growing up that way. They are so interested in other cultures and it starts as simply as having an interest in other people and then their cultures. So those are the foundation blocks. And then having an empathy, depending on the situation you're in, about how you could better be of service to that person. So having an others-led approach Basic rules of rapport. Rapport is where other people perceive us to be like them. So they perceive us like back in that tribe on the savannah. Rapport is built where they perceive you as one of that tribe. So for example, I had my best friend when I lived in Dubai as a Filipina. I'm like, I'm the godmother to her son. And, you know, we are the same height. We have the same haircut. We're both Asian. And in the Dubai context, we're, we're both Asian and non-Asian environments. So we bonded over those commonalities. We perceived ourselves to be part of the same tribe in an environment where I suppose people were less related to the tribe than us. So when people perceive us to be like them, we can more easily build trust and then connection. So how do we do that? We can do that simply by looking for visual cues when we first meet someone and whether they're from our same culture or another culture, tapping into those. So for example, um, Today I had a call with someone, she was wearing the same color as me on the video call. And we raised that, we had a chuckle about it. And like that led to a conversation about should we put makeup on when we're working from home or not? And that gave us emotional information to connect over. So if I hadn't picked up the same color and began the conversation, we would have had a plain work call. And that's something to start conversation that is like, is not related necessarily to culture and it's a safe point of connection. So if I was meeting someone of a different culture and I, of course, didn't want to make a faux pas, I wanted to get to know their culture, I would make a comment as innocuous as that. Then I would ease into starting to ask more questions about the culture and being being interested in what they have to say. And then hopefully they would ask me about my own background and we would find some correlation, which happened a lot in the Middle East. Middle Eastern people very much like Chinese people are very, very generous, uh, Asian people in general with food. And so that would be our touch point to begin building rapport, trust, then connection. Another thing that you can do regardless of um, cultural background that can then ease you into code switching because you can't 
take on the behaviors necessarily of another culture and the, until you know something about them. So one thing that works really well is speaking like the person you're trying to connect with. So when I was in the Arab world, if I knew a few words of Arabic, when I was hosting an event, I would throw those words in. They would think it's cute, but they would see that I was trying to discomfort myself to move faster to communicate with them. So expediting connection. So if you come across someone that speaks English as a second language, you you should slow down, you know, to allow that connection to happen more quickly, for example. So these are just really, really basic ways that you, a lot of strong human connectors do this naturally um, that I'm breaking down for you. So speak like the person you're trying to speak with without being condescending and imitating their accent. I think another thing that you could do is the body language is the mirroring, particularly on video call. I would suggest to people, if you have a client that day, Sanaya, who's had a bad day and they're like this, you can start the call by slowly mirroring and then building empathy and rapport, listening to them and then bringing them into good rapport by changing your body language. And you'll find as natural human beings, they want to mirror you to connect with you. They'll also pull their shoulders back. So those are the th three things I would choose points of relatability to connect on to learn about the person's culture before jumping in and making potential faux pas. Speak like the person that you want to uh, connect with, inconvenience yourself to speak more slowly or to put words in of their language to show them that you care to connect. Um, and the last thing would be, did I say the mirroring and the matching? The, mir the mirroring of the body language. You said the mirror and the matching, but um, I also like something else you said. You said build rapport, build trust, and then establish communication. So yes. it seems like connection is a couple of steps. You set it up before you connect. So that's what I'm getting from you. And also um, the different techniques you mentioned. This is something that we have to learn to practice? Because you also said that some people do it naturally. But for those of us who don't do it naturally, is this something we can get trained in? Is this something that we have to just be aware of and practice? How does it work? Yeah. So I think it's about being mindful and then practicing it. I, um, My father was a very others-driven person and I am not naturally so because of my own trauma, I was very much always wanting love and attention and affection. And when I went through my big awakening and I went to therapy and started to feel more healthily connected, my cup runneth over. And when, when that happens, it means you have so much love in your life that all you're concerned about is really looking at who needs love around you. And that's a wonderful way to start connecting because you're not going into interactions thinking, what can I get out of this? You're really going in to see how I can serve. And service is an incredible way to feel more connected. And when I say service, I mean, even in those small bits of communication, you're asking, how are you? What can I do for you? And then, oh my gosh, this person is having trouble speaking English. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to inconvenience myself for the other person. And when we're better connected, incredible, like when we are of service in our communication, incredible things start to happen. Then we become in service of service in our lives. And when we are making positive change in our connections and then in our community, it reminds us as human beings that we're part of that tribe bigger than ourselves. And that's why doing volunteer work and donating money and all of those things, doing good deeds, not only makes other people feel good, but it also makes us feel more connected because we know we matter in the tribe. We can enact change. So I think that that is 
something that I could say, if you just go into every new interaction with saying, I want to be of service, what can I do to help in this? It's immediately going to change the way that you connect immediately from the I to others focused. And if there's one thing I would love for you to take away to, would, would be that. And then of course, rapport is built through that. And then trust is the cornerstone of connection, as Sanaya said. So as you were talking, Simone, I, you know, my mind wandered to um, something that's happening in my workplace, in in my um, well-being center. So I've hired, I hired somebody new who is not Filipina. And most Mm -hmm. of my employees are Filipino. And what's really interesting is that she speaks in different sort of terms. She uses different terms than what my employees are used to, what my team is used to. And so simple things, she just has a different way of saying it. And I noticed that it's hard for her to speak in a way that the rest of the team understands her because she's coming from a different sort of background, different culture, different maybe um, environment. And so for her, the comfort zone is to stick to the way she knows how to communicate. But Mm -hmm. for everybody else, they have difficulty receiving the communication and it's creating a little bit of conflict and friction. And I just realized that if she could, if she understood, and this is probably what I'm going to help her with now, um, if she understood how to perhaps mirror the rest of the people in my center, in my well-being center, if she could mirror them a little better in terms of speaking in the way they are comfortable with, then yeah. they're going to feel like she's making a lot of effort. They'll be a little bit more forgiving, I believe. Yeah. And I think there will be a much greater synergy between them. Yes. Then they don't detect her as a threat to the existing tribe. They right. see her as one of the tribe. And just on that note of cross-cultural communication, I, I don't know where this individual's from, um, but firstly, Lisa Nichols, a great speaker, always says, you know, you're responsible for what you say, but also how it lands. And for years, I was good at speaking, but I didn't care so much about, about how it landed for people. And I think it's about being mindful that if that team doesn't understand your direction, it's not the team's fault. It's your fault. You've got to have ownership. And I still struggle with this all the time with my team and learning to to have it land in the nuanced way that I want. And on the cross, cross-cultural communication front, you know, I get asked to speak to a lot of APAC teams because I am Australian yet also Asian. So I kind of sit right in the middle. And for our, you know, Western brothers and sisters, I can say that as someone who's also part European, um, you know, this idea of being confrontational and, and being direct. For Asian people, we've been taught from the beginning of time to soften any negative emotion, wording, confrontation, and we soften that meaning. And when I work with Western people, that can sometimes be an issue because they they don't understand that something's been criticized because for them it's so softened. And from the other point of view, the directness doesn't land well in Asia. It's taken as an affront to that. It's that loss of face. And if both parties could understand that a little bit better, I think we would have much more connected and fluent uh, communication in workspaces where with what we're now seeing is a global, a global way of working because of COVID. 
Right. And, you know, I had the same experience because I, you know, I went to college in the U.S. I worked there for many years and then Dubai as well. And so I come from more of that Western upbringing, even though I'm very Asian. Right. I'm very completely Asian, but I, too, have that kind of background. And when I moved to the Philippines, I struggled I really struggled because I couldn't understand how to communicate in mm-hmm. such a soft and indirect way. It was very yeah. unnatural for me. I'm, you know, usually very direct. And I remember, you know, when I opened my well-being center, so I have a spa. I have a like an or I had an organic um spa. And I would interview spa therapists and I would have them do my nails as a sample so I could see their work. Okay. And this is usually when they first, they'd already, they've already been hired. So they're already kind of secure to a certain degree because they're already working for me, but I would still like to see how they are doing it to ensure like the quality control. Right. And every time I would have someone do my nails, she would start crying. Okay. Because I would just, in, in my point of, in my perspective, I was just kind of helping her make it consistent from one therapist to another. But from her point of view, she felt she was being criticized by her boss. And there Mm -hmm. was that very much, it's also cultural, right? Because of the sort of the history of colonization in the Philippines, right? So there's that element. There is, you know, the foreigner speaking to a local though I'm now Filipina, but um, when I came, I was still kind of an expat. And then there's also the way I was saying it. That and then you being her boss, right? And, as well. and her, I'm in her boss, right? So yes. And, and for me, it was something that in any other country I had lived in would have been totally received well. But here where people are a lot more gentle, they're softer, they're, you know, in that sense, they have that very Asian sort of communicative. Yeah, but um, it's also very nuanced and indirect you'll find I think too so a lot of the meaning is happening in between the silences and behind the back and I found that really challenging when I moved here um, after mum had the stroke went to take care of my mum for one and a half years and then I came back to Singapore where I was born and I worked for an organization where you know for me compared to being told um, by an Australian boss or a Kiwi boss, like, oh, that thing you did on air was effing bad. You know, they'll speak like that. And then it's done to then be dealing with, you know, oh, that was okay. But then a horrific email written, ceasing all of HR, you know, but the, the communication given to my face was completely different. And I'm happy to say that in order to have a thriving business in Asia, you need to communicate as is communicated in the market you're living in. And I think I've I've gotten leaps and bounds better, as I'm sure you have as well, Sanaya. But it, it, at the beginning, it is a it is a culture shock. It is an absolute right. culture shock. Yeah. Yeah. I had to work on it too. You know, and it 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 really was detrimental to my business yes. until I learned to deal with it and to kind of conquer, you know, my own inclinations to be so yes. direct. Right now, connected to that is is something else I wanted to discuss. I've always believed that we all speak different languages and not just in terms of, you know, the nation we're from, the countries we come from, but also in terms of how different things mean different things to different people. Right. So, you know, I may look at something that coming from Asia or coming from Japan, coming from Japan may seem very like 
Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe it, it's it, it's not a big deal, but for someone who lives in Indonesia, it's a huge deal. And so not only, again, that's a little bit more about the country, but if I've had a bad experience with something, then I'm going to get triggered or react to something the way somebody else might not, who didn't have that very negative experience. So mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that it's not just about language, culture, but also perspective, experience, and how we all have our own unique points of view. Doesn't all of this get in the way of connection, of authentically being able to connect with everybody? And how do we deal with that? I think what we're seeing in the States at the moment is this polarization happening off, you know, I'm a person of color, you're a white person of privilege, you couldn't possibly understand me. And I think, and I have moments too, where even with my own partner who's Caucasian, where I have moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, you've you've always had privilege. And then I have to call myself because sometimes drawing those lines in the the sand actually can stop us from connecting with each other on that deeply human level. Because before I am a Singaporean, Australian, whatever person, speaker, I'm a human being. And before Sanaya, before you are a podcast host, businesswoman of Asian background, you are a human being. So when people are talking the rhetoric right now, you see it everywhere from politicians to Instagram about humanity, about our deeply innate humanity, those are the qualities we have to tap into. So our compassion, our empathy. You know, empathy is really seeing is a great way to connect because if you were to meet someone that you could perceive that your backgrounds are so disparate that you would never have anything to connect with, if you were to lean into empathy, I am sure you would find something. But if you lean into the, you come from a different identity than me, different generation, different, well, we can't possibly connect, then you're never going to connect. You're going to feel lonelier. It's, It's another one of the factors that I am, the polarization that I see from the media, I can consume from the other side of the world does sometimes concern me as to whether that is making people lonelier because by tapping into this, this is my unique experience, which everyone's unique experience is absolutely valid. But are we then saying you could possibly never, you might possibly never understand me because this is my unique experience. Well, of course, every human being is like a thumbprint, right? Each and every one of us is unique. So if we go by that, then we're never going to be able to connect. Is that kind of what you were hedging at or not yeah, really? So, so what you're saying, Simone, is essentially do not look at what separates us. Do not look at the divisions and the differences. And commonality instead, connects. Right. And the commonality is the fact that we're all human beings occupying the same planet and we can all feel for each other. You know, we can all connect with each other on, on the basic sort of virtues, for lack of a better word, but things like compassion and kindness and understanding and sensitivity. And we can do that regardless of what background culture we come from. And I think if, if you've seen Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think, which, yeah. which we've all, I mean, if we look at those basic needs, human beings, we're all craving those basic needs. So anybody that you meet is if you just go through that pyramid, it's probably right in that moment of frustration or struggle, identifying with a lack of or desire for one of those needs, love, connection, belonging, or food, water, shelter, those basic 
bottom rungs of that pyramid are what unifies all of us because it's wired into our biology. These are the basic things that we need. So, you know, if we look at it on that level, stripping away all of the rest of it, we will find many unifying things actually. And so from that perspective, we are all actually speaking the same language when we speak the language of love and compassion and kindness. And so, yes, that actually makes perfect sense. Now, Simone, can we talk a little bit about technology? Um, and in today's world, it is technology. It is sort of the digital medium that is the access point for most of our connection to happen, right? How do we use technology in the best way, given that, that you know, that touch, the feel, the, you know, you can't really feel people's energy through a computer the way you would sitting across the table from each other. How do we incorporate technology without letting it interfere with our communication and connection with each other? Okay. So a little bit firstly about touch and what it, you know, what is potentially like living in a world without touch as many of us have experienced if we live alone and don't have family in our households in a lockdown to connect with. Touch releases a social bonding hormone, oxytocin, which is one of the good happy hormones, makes us feel wonderful um, and connected. And what they found was studies have shown that the simple act of looking at a picture of a person that you really love can also release oxytocin. So by that logic, sharing a video with the person you love also can release those social bonding hormones, not in the exact same way as physically touching, but there is great connection to be had via technology where boundaries are in place. So all (laughs) I actually really think most things in life, you just get happier as you draw healthy boundaries for yourself. And technology is the same. So I have, I'm very active on social media. Um, I love it for its for the reasons that it allows me to connect with Asian audiences. Very rarely they're going to put a big, deep and meaningful comment, Singaporean audiences, at least publicly on your feed, the DMs that I get, the voice notes I get from people in need, all because of content that I've posted, allows me to connect and be of service to the tribe during a time of mass social distancing. So I still use social media and that form of technology as a modality of connection. However, I have very specific boundaries for myself. So I'll share them with you. Maybe they'll help you as well. Uh, One of my boundaries is I don't take photos of meals, um, everyday meals and everyday connection moments. Like if my girlfriends come over and we're in gym jams connecting and watching romantic like reality shows, I don't photograph and cover that in IG stories or on my feed. So for a human connection speaker, you could go to my feed and there's like very little other humans. That's because what I was finding was we would be going out to dinner and people would be stopping midway as people are eating to get people to pose for a photo, to stop this, stop that. And it was, it was fragmenting the exact human connection that I was more interested in displaying versus experiencing. So my rule is I will photograph special occasions, Chinese New Year, Christmas, birthdays, but those everyday beautiful moments of authentic connection where the makeup is off and my girlfriend is pouring her heart out to me. Our dinners are few and far between as it is with COVID. I'm not letting a moment of that be interrupted because I want to post a photo of it. 
So that's one of my boundaries. And I know every person's different, but that's where um, I'm I, at. I want. I want to add Simone that I've noticed that the holiday, the vacations where I've really enjoyed the most, I've really immersed myself in the experience are the ones where I've forgotten to take pictures. And I come back and I'm like, oh my God, I didn't take any pictures. But those were some of the best vacations, mm-hmm. the best moments I've had with my husband or with my family, because we were so involved in, you know, spending that time with each other. We couldn't stop. We didn't have the mental ability or the mental sort of um, interest. Inclination. Inclination is the right word to stop and say, okay, let's pose for this. You know, I totally hear you on that. And that's a really great trip, a tip, trip and tip. (laughs) Well, actually, it actually started two years ago when I was um, I got my first North American speaking gig and I went to do this gig, but was meeting my partner in Hawaii afterwards. And of course, for the work part, I was covering it. I was alone, right? It was work. And I bought that same, almost like being my own personal paparazzi into our Hawaii holiday. And it just, I was not there. And I, and then when we entered the pandemic, I was like, that was such a precious overseas trip, which is now really limited. And I wasted it. And that's when I bought the rule in. I also don't post um, photos of Paul or things about our relationship unless he gives me permission because he's born in 1970. So he's from a different generation that didn't have social media. And he finds it very invasive because his idea of privacy is also informed by a childhood where nobody was doing this stuff. Um, and so I ask him for permission if I want to, but I don't um, put stuff up there anymore. So these are things that I've done in the last three years that have really helped my human connection. I love that. You know, I think it's really important for us to stop and and decide how much of our life we want to put on display and how much we want to keep private so that we can really enjoy those moments of connection. Um, Having said that, what do you think are succeeding generations who don't know how to live that way? You know, what kind of an effect Do you think that's happening, not only mentally, psychologically, and, you know, we touched upon this again earlier, like our children who are in the lockdown, you know, and who are living in this kind of a a worldwide pandemic. I mean, what does it do to them? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You know, how are they going to grow out of this? So, on the one hand, I think that it's making them thirstier than ever for connection. I think it's making them lonelier than ever. And I I know this because I use TikTok and the users on there are are young. And you I watched a video yesterday of a someone who was maybe 
10 to 14 years younger than me, having to host events um, and get people to get up on stage with numbers and share their story. So this is the kind of thing that my generation, we would do naturally. You just go to someone's house and you connect and you're vulnerable and you disclose. But imagine now having to create an artifice, an artificial stage to facilitate disclosure, vulnerability, and then connection. So I watched it and I know this guy was really proud of it. And I thought, wow, it's a beautiful idea. But I thought, has it come to that, that, that you'd have to have an invite to the event to make sure everyone shows up and doesn't cancel on you for something better. And then you're going to have to have a number to get up and share. And what they found in this event was that everyone, they thought only a few people will share, but everyone was getting up and sharing, which shows a deep thirst for connection and to be seen. I think the other thing that it's going to do, I think that studies will come out soon on how um, a lack of social connection affects the developing brain. And from an adult perspective, just projecting that onto kids, what I can see in our workplaces is a lack of connection causing a deficit in innovation because a lot of ideas happen through inspiration, right? Spontaneously, you have ad hoc conversations. It leads to something. So imagine you're a kid at school and the only modality you're learning from is a computer, but you're not having those conversations and those inspiring moments to trigger creative ideas. So I'd be interested. I'm not going to say definitively that's what's going to happen, but I would be really interested to see in the coming years studies on that and how that affects, you know, kids are also highly neuroplastic, really malleable. So the, they will bounce back maybe more than some of the rest of us, but I would, I'm really interested to see when that, that comes out. But the, the first thing, definitely I can say definitively that search for connection and that, not knowing what it feels like to be authentically connected really concerns me. Do you think, uh, Simone, that one of the solutions could be strengthening that self-connection, that if we can work on it ourselves and sort of building that own trust with ourselves, you know, building that confidence, um, removing self-doubt, that if we can be stronger, um, more well-adjusted people, that we would have an easier time connecting with other people. Do you think that might be perhaps one way to do it? Self-connection is the basis for connecting with others. And, you know, part of that self-connection work could be getting a coach, could getting a, be getting a therapist to unlock um, a lot of your issues around self-love. So for me, because of my childhood trauma, I always felt that I was unlovable, which meant I craved connection, which meant when I met someone, I overshared. So, you know, disclosure, vulnerability only comes after rapport is established. If you were to meet someone in which there was no rapport and they would share something that your body immediately says is is crossing a boundary or too much, you would immediately think, oh, that's oversharing. And then that repels connection versus making us feel safe. Like, oh, this person is disclosing. It's safe for me to disclose. All it makes you think is, whoa, this person will never keep my secrets because she can't keep her own. So my own trauma and lack of self-connection affected how I connected with other people. So let's use that as an analogy for anyone. We all have our own baggage, our experiences that contribute to shaping us. The more we can get vernacular and grapple with whatever we've been through, making ourselves more whole, 
is going to help us connect in a healthy way with others. It's that easy. It all starts from here. Yeah. I, I was smiling when you started talking, Simone, because that was completely my journey too. You know, I grew up really? feeling unloved. Yeah. Unloved. Yeah. And I, I, exactly. <laughs> like soul sister. I was totally working on those very same things. And I too, you know, the way it manifested for me is um, wanting love from other people and not being able to get it and not being able to get the love for myself either. And so I had to work through my own childhood traumas. And that's how I got into the kind of work that I do today. Um, so I'm glad you you brought that up and shared that oh, part of you. We can have, I, I have to send you a copy of, of my book. Let me write it down right now when it comes out, because there's so much of that in, in it, Sanaya. And, um, and it's a very, un- I thought I, it was a very unique problem. And I would make the excuse that, oh, you're a radio DJ. So they're paying you to share. And I would justify, you know, I would use my occupation as a crutch, knowing full well inside that a little red flag was going, no, 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 that's not okay. And so if you're listening and there are any little red flags, if you interact with someone and the interaction didn't go good and you go well and you sat there and you thought, well, that wasn't very good. Why was it that very good? That's the beginning of the budding that is self-connection. You're getting closer to unpacking. Those things are clues. Look for the clues. Yeah, absolutely. So what tips do you have, Simone, for someone who wants to embark on this journey of you know, establishing that connection with themselves? What else can they do? I know you mentioned you know, working with a coach, a trainer, a therapist, going in for you know, these kinds of um, one-on-one sessions where you can explore your childhood or your traumas, but anything else that you can recommend that our listeners can kind of start playing around with? Yes. So here's something that is absolutely free that everyone can do in lockdown right now. And that is to find a time in the day to sit with yourself by yourself. Now, I'm not a big meditator. It's something that I've got on my list as something I would like to bring into my life soon. But what we've seen with COVID is, Sanaya, and I've spoke about before, is this inability to sit with yourself. I spent most of my 20s running around packing my schedule so I didn't have to sit with myself. And in that silence, in that vacuum, a lot of that good stuff is going to come out. And it's only from there that you can really start the journey of, okay, I'm going to go buy a coach. I'm going to go book a therapist. But if you can't even sit in that moment, you're going to get into that therapist chair and have nothing to say. So I would start by just sitting with yourself and getting used to liking your own company. I'm dangerous. I like my own company so much at this day for somebody who is a hyper extrovert, extremely connected, Um, And not just to people, but to my occupation. I love life and I'm so invested in life. But I also know, hey, if I was all by myself, I spent COVID three months on my own last year in the lockdown because my partner and I weren't living with each other yet. I was crafting and painting and having a very good time on my own. So I couldn't have gone through that without really being able to like myself in those still moments by myself. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was talking about in my class this morning. It's just that, you know, self-love starts with being able to enjoy your own company. 
you know, and I, I remember when I was starting my own journey, I would do things like having a meal by myself because the old me would have felt really self-conscious. But, you know, the, the part of me that was starting to open up and, 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 um, love myself, that part of me was, uh, was very excited to kind of get on that journey of self-discovery. Now I am getting, uh, Simone to our, last question for today. Um, that and actually the Project Loving Myself mantra that I do ask my guests. I wanted you to tell our listeners a little bit about the Cour- Courageous Speaking community, about your book, which I'm really excited to, to read. And if you can leave us with your Project Loving Myself mantra, something you'd like to share with our listeners, that would be great. Sure. Um, so I run a community that I it was my COVID baby, and we have monthly one hour webinars giving you tips and actionable steps to up your communication game. So, of course, you can connect better to your job or to your partner and all of those sorts of things. And it's a beautiful community of people who all want to get better, and it's only 15 US dollars a month. So that's CourageousSpeaking.com. And then on top of that, my book, Secret Pandemic, comes out in February of next year, just after Chinese New Year. And it is for every little Asian girl who grew up in a house, not really fully understanding how this idea of not speaking about emotions or being criticized or being told to love family members who weren't very nice. If you've experienced any of that, this book is going to hopefully be your first step to cracking open and starting the awakening that both Sanaya and I have been lucky enough to have. And my mantra, am I meant to? I think we'll stick to what we've mentioned today is like, you cannot connect well with other people until you connect well with yourself. Wow. I love how you said that. Thank you, Simone, for being so generous with, uh, with your knowledge and with everything that you have been through. Um, I'd, like to request if you would share your details for people to follow you on Instagram, for people to get in touch regarding your community. If you can go ahead and do that, please. Sure. So you can follow me online at Simone Heng on both Instagram and TikTok. And you can go to CourageousSpeaking.com to access the community. We also have free tips on speaking that go up daily on the Courageous Speaking Instagram, which is at Courageous Speaking Community. I'm totally on your database because I get them and I read them. So I really recommend you guys to, you know, go and subscribe. It's very helpful. And her videos as well. They're very inspiring. Thank you again, Simone. You you and I have to have a coffee offline when we're not working. You're amazing. Thank you so much. And I'm so sorry. No problem. Bye. Thank you. Was that interesting or what? I really enjoyed that conversation with Simone. The tips that she shared were particularly enlightening for me. And I'm definitely going to think about how I can communicate with others better by maybe picking up on those touch points for more authentic communication. And I, I really learned so much from her. Let me know what you think and tell me a little bit about what you got out of today's episode. Post on Instagram and Facebook and tag at Project Loving Myself podcast and tag me too at Sanaya Gurnamal. Do follow me on this podcast on Spotify and drop me a rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for all your love and I appreciate that you follow and that you listen to this podcast. I leave you today with our quote, every technology ages. The only thing that never gets old is connecting with people. And that is by Logan Pierce, who's a tech guy. 
see you next week for another episode to help you with your personal growth story. Thank you for joining me this week on Project Loving Myself, brought to you by Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics. You are loved. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.